Good morning. I think we can do a little bit better than that. Good morning. It's great to see all of you here. What a beautiful congregation you are, and what a joy to be welcomed into the presence of God by our worship team. Amen. You're very blessed here at Amplified Church, and I trust that you don't take what you have for granted. What a blessing. I got the privilege of enjoying both services, and so feel very, very honored today. I think sometimes God has a sense of humor to take a boy from uh, born and raised in eastern Kentucky and plucks him, uh, plucks him out of there and puts him right in uh, the heart of uh, North Carolina. North Carolina, Duke, North Carolina State, all those places. I don't know if I covered all of them, uh, but I'd say that probably covered most of it. And uh, so God has a great sense of humor. Uh, I am a Kentucky Wildcat basketball fan. I know, I know. Go ahead, get it out. That's all right. Um, but uh, what a joy it is for us to be here at Amplified Church. And uh, my name, as uh, Pastor Philip mentioned, is Dwayne Mills. I appreciate his prayer for me this morning. But uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. And uh, Appalachia Reach Out is a compassionate ministry center uh, in the heart of Appalachia, right on the Kentucky-West Virginia state line. If any of you have heard of the Hatfields and McCoys and know anything about it, we're, that's ground zero where we live. And when I say we're right on the, the, the state line of Kentucky and West Virginia, when I was pastoring my home church that my grandfather and both great-grandmothers founded and my dad pastored at, uh, I actually hit golf balls from uh, the Parsonage Yard over the Tug River into West Virginia. And uh, so no one lived over there. It's pretty rural where we live. And so, uh, but uh, that gives you an idea of kind of where we're from. And uh, we're excited to be in partnership with Amplified Church. You're going to be coming to our second location in West Virginia uh, about a month from now. And we're excited about that and what God is doing there. I want to ask you a question this morning. This is not just about me coming and sharing about what God is doing uh, at Appalachia Reach Out, ARO, as we refer to it. But uh, this is about what God wants to do in your hearts and your lives today. And I want you to know that what I share with you today, I give God all honor, glory, and praise because he is faithful. He is alive. We just sang about that today. Uh, but before I jump into what God has been doing in the heart of Appalachia, and just so you know, Appalachia covers about 12, 13 states. It's 25 million people. Actually, Western North Carolina has Appalachia in, uh, in its uh, area. And so I just uh, want to give a word of testimony. We sang about the blood of, of Christ. And Scripture tells us that we defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I want to share with you what God has been doing uh, last August, we partner with many individuals and families and churches uh, and districts, uh, individuals all over the country for the work that we do in the heart of Appalachia. And uh, we have a partnering church in a county just north of where we're at in Martin County. It's a place called Lawrence County, uh, Meads Branch Free Will Baptist Church. And last August, they started a one-week revival, which we were a part of. And uh, that, that one-week revival turned into three weeks, and we saw 84 people come to Christ through that, through that revival. God is at work in the mountains, and we give him all honor, glory, and praise. In that same time, we partner with a ministry called uh, Addiction Recovery Care, ARC, um, and uh, they have about 30-some facilities in 17 counties uh, in Kentucky. They're a national best practice. They're unapologetic. We're Christian, uh, not faith-based, but we're Christian-based. We know that Christ is the center of everything. We actually have an outpatient treatment facility on our campus. They have residential treatment facilities all over the state of Kentucky. But one of the partnering men's residential treatment facilities that we partner with is in Pike County, Kentucky. And during that same time, we saw 100 of those men come to Christ with 39 being baptized. God is at work in the mountains of Appalachia, and we give him all honor, glory, and praise. Do we believe today that we still serve a God that can heal us from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet? Do we believe that today, church? I trust that you do. Scripture says that uh, we have been knit together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe he knows everything about us. Scripture says not even a sparrow falls from the sky that he does not know about, so how much more does he know and care for us today? What a great God that we serve. And 
And during that time last year, we have four children. Our oldest, Ethan, just, graduated, or just uh, finished his sophomore year at Olivet Nazarene University. And then our youngest is Emily. We've got three boys and a girl. Um, just so you know, I youth pastored for a number of years. And uh, my wife, Bethany, and I decided to have kids about five or six years after we were married. And during the time that we youth pastor, now ladies, don't get upset with me, uh, my prayer was this, Lord, give me all boys, please. Because after six years in youth ministry with junior and senior high girls, uh, my prayer was just simply, Lord, give me boys, please. And uh, the Lord did. He answered that prayer for our first three, and then Emily, Cora Emily came along, and uh, she kind of turned our, our world upside down a little bit. Um, but uh, last year, during this same time in August, about 10.30 p.m. at night, I uh, just stretched out on the bed. Bethany had come into our bedroom and to the bathroom to get ready for bed, and we hear this noise that I'd never heard before, and it kind of startled me. It's, as a parent, you probably have experienced this. Hopefully not, but if you have, you just kind of stop in your tracks. You're trying to figure out what was that, and then very few seconds later, I hear it again, and I knew exactly what it was. It was a child in distress. I remember in one fell swoop, jumping out of bed and grabbing our doorknob into our room, opening that door, and we walk out into the kitchen area. It's kind of an open uh, floor plan to our living room, kitchen, and dining room. And our youngest son, Eli, who was 12 at the time, was bent over, and we saw these two little red prints right here, right below his knee. And we knew exactly what had happened. We knew he'd been hit by a, a snake. See, we have uh, right beside us, we built a home a couple years ago, and right beside us, um, is a little home that we built because Bethany's parents, both of her parents passed away within five days of each other uh, back two years ago, March, and her only sibling, Jason, is Down syndrome. And so we built a little place beside us, very independent. Uh, we're blessed by that, but he lives right beside us. And so Eli had been over at Jason's house had come back, and we have a screened-in back porch, and he had gone to, to grab the, the screened-in porch, and on the top spindle of, our, of those steps, there was a copperhead that had wrapped itself around, and he had grabbed the screen door, and when he stepped through, it's during the dog days of summer, so scales go over their eyes, and they strike at heat. When he grabbed that, it hit him, and so we quickly, we reacted, and we got him. Of course, where we live in Martin County is a very rural community in Appalachia, nothing really around, and so we have to go to a neighboring county to what I call a stop-along hospital, and then they began to uh, talk to Cabell Huntington in Huntington, West Virginia, and we were able to get him up to the pediatric ICU, but we literally had thousands of people praying for Eli, and the Lord radically touched him. Two weeks later, he was actually back out on the ball court playing basketball because we believe God radically touched his life. We believe that we serve a healing God. Amen? Believe that with all of my heart. God is at work. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is we cannot be still. We have to be active in our faith. Faith without works is dead. And so I want to share with you just a little bit about what God is doing. Uh, and my prayer is this, that you will be open and receptive to what God has for you. We believe that God is a one who's redeeming one who's restoring, and one who is transforming hearts and lives. And I'm glad it just doesn't happen once, but God continues to redeem and restore and transform our hearts and our lives as we live for him each and every day. And so I want to share with you a passage of Scripture that says this. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, or chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all thy ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It doesn't say that it will be easy. It doesn't say that you're not going to face trials and tribulations. But it does say your paths will be straight. And that's the God that we serve today. And so my prayer has been this. When Pastor Philip contacted me a few months ago and said, would you come? I was supposed to be here in March, but we were right in the middle of 36 straight days of disaster relief where we live in eastern Kentucky because we had two ice storms, a snowstorm, and then rains and floods. Uh, so for 36 days, and he saw that online, and he said, hey, would you be willing to come later? We want to give you the opportunity to serve your people there in eastern Kentucky. And so we're here today. I believe it's by divine appointment. 
I believe you're not here by accident. I believe God has you here for a purpose and a reason. I believe that with all of my heart. And so I'm wondering today, can you trust him with all of your heart? It happened for us in our life. Uh, it was Tuesday, September the 6th, 2011. My wife and I were serving at Olivet Nazarene University. I was the dean of students. She was the director of counseling and health services. We were loving life. We had just had our fourth child, Emily. She was a few months old. The academic year had just begun, and we were in chapel. The university had just built a beautiful chapel that seats about 2,700 people, and, and faculty, staff, and students had gathered for one of the first chapels of the school year. And I was seated in the nosebleed section up in the balcony area, just minding my own business, doing life. We had a guest preacher that day, a man by the name of Dr. Tony Campolo. Maybe you've heard of him, Italian guy, extremely animated. People learn to not sit on the front rows when he preaches because he's so animated. And he was there sharing about a student of his at Eastern University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She had graduated, and she was excited because she had been a given a job in a very competitive, prestigious suburb, a school in the suburbs of Philadelphia. A very competitive, a couple hundred applications, three positions. She was chosen as a teacher, and she was excited about it. And, of course, Dr. Campolo was sharing that day in our chapel service. I'm minding my business. He's sharing. He's preaching. He's telling this story. And uh, she comes in to his office and begins to talk to him about how excited she is. And she picks up pretty quickly that he's not celebrating really with her the way that she thought he should. And she stopped in mid-sentence. And she said, Dr. Campolo, are you not excited with me? He said, no, I'm, I'm thankful that you have a job. He said, my greatest concern is that there's over 200 open teaching positions in the inner city of Philadelphia. And Jesus needs to go there as well. And then he stopped and he made this statement as he was preaching as I was just doing life, minding my own business, he made this statement. He said, why would you be in a place where God could use anyone? Why wouldn't you go to a place where he could only use you? And in that moment, the Lord spoke two words into my spirit. Those two words were Martin County. As I said, a place where I was born and raised. You see, there's two ways for me to begin to process and think about that as God began to, to put this in my heart that day. I, I can tell you this, my life was completely turned upside down that day as I was trying to discern, God, what does, does that have any significant meaning for me in this very moment? You see, Martin County on one side is, is the place in 1964 where President Johnson stood on the front porch of the Tom Fletcher home and declared the war on poverty because it was the poorest county in all of the country back in 1964. Uh, this, actually, all you have to do is Google Tom Fletcher front porch, and you'll see many of these kinds of pictures. This house is actually still standing today about a mile from our campus. The little guy leaned up against the, the, the post, the porch post, is a guy by the name of Calvin Fletcher, a little boy back in 1964. Even today, in 2021, Martin County has 60 to 80% of the children in the county that live in poverty. Poverty is pervasive. It is everywhere you look. Imagine living in a community where 60 to 70 or 70 to 80% of the children living in that county live in poverty. I can drop you down. Do you all know what hills and hollers are in North Carolina? Okay, I go to the north and I say that and they look at me sideways like, what is a holler? If you don't know, ask me after service. I'll explain it to you. But I could prop you down in the head of a holler and you'd think literally you're standing in a third world country where we live. And so when you think of Martin County, these are some of the things that you think about. But my thought process was just a little bit different. You see, for me, Martin County has great significance uh, my grandfather, my dad's father, and my granny, my dad's mother, born and raised, multiple generations came before them, living in Martin County. My grandfather had a fifth-grade education. He learned to read by reading the Bible. He would board away in the coal mines of West Virginia through the week, and he would come home on the weekends and be there with the family. In 1950, there was a little clapboard church that sat in this community called Turkey Creek, which is in Martin County, and it was in that uh, it was in that uh, community that this clapboard Methodist church 
was located, it was on the circuit. If you don't know what that means, it simply means that a Methodist minister would come in once a month, hold services, and not be back into that church, into that community until the next month. My grandfather and both great-grandmothers felt like there needed to be a holiness presence in that community. And so in 1950, they took an all-day trip to a community called Ashland, Kentucky. Back then, it was an all-day trip. Today, you can get there in an hour. They purchased that little clapboard Methodist church for $150. They came back to Martin County and brought it into the Church of the Nazarene. Last year, we celebrated 70 years, and over 71 years now, there's been over 30 men and women called into ministry out of that church because of the faithfulness of someone who said, I trust you with all of my heart. So as God began to stir my heart on September the 6th of 2011, I didn't say anything to my wife that day. The next day was Wednesday, September the 7th, and I can remember those days we lived for 8 o'clock p.m. Parents, bedtime, I heard it. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We love those days. We had our family devotions, and we put the kids to bed, and I went downstairs, and I'm a sportsaholic. I love sports, and probably was watching baseball. It was September. I remember turning the TV off, and I looked across the room at my wife, Bethany, and I said, I need to talk to you. And she said, okay. She said, it wouldn't happen to be something that happened yesterday, would it? I said, yes, it is. She said, it wouldn't happen to be something that Dr. Campolo shared, would would it? And I said, it is. She said, it wouldn't happen to be this, would it? And she repeated verbatim what I just shared with you. She said, God is calling you to Turkey Creek. I said, I don't know if he's calling me to Turkey Creek, but I think maybe there's a call to Martin County, the people of Appalachia. Uh, We began to bawl as we looked at each other, and my dad, who's been a pastor in the Nazarene Church and a district superintendent, my my brother is a a pastor in the Nazarene Church, and both of my brother-in-laws are pastors in the Nazarene Church, so, so we have, we could have a prayer covering over us, but we didn't share anything with anyone in those days. I told her, I said, let's just put out a fleece. If it's really what God wants us to do, because we knew what that meant. It meant taking us from a place that was beginning to feel like home. We had been there for six or seven years at that time, and God maybe was in the process of uprooting our family to to put us in a community where our kids would not have the things that they had currently. And we wrestled with that. I I can remember, I'm I'm a type A OCD person. Anybody like that here? Don't admit it. Now, some of you are elbowing the person beside you, don't, don't do that. That's not good. But I like list. I'm a legal pad kind of person. And, and I like to check off things every day that I put on my list. And so I can remember as I was trying to discern what God was wanting us to do, I was seated at the kitchen table at 835 p Lane in Bourbon A, Illinois, trying to figure out the pros and cons. Because I think there's some times in our life that God calls us to a work, and he allows us to choose and he's going to be in the middle of it. But there's also times in our life where God calls us very specifically to a task that if we don't say yes and we don't step into what he's calling us to do, then we are out of his known will for our hearts and our lives. I believe that. So I was trying to discern that, and I was figuring it out, and I remember writing the pros and cons. Why would we go? Why would we stay? God, are you in the middle of this, or are you going to allow us to choose? I can even remember telling my wife, Bethany, maybe we go and interview because the church was needing a pastor at the time, and which we eventually did, the church that my grandfather and great-grandmothers had founded and my dad had pastored at. Uh, but I, I can remember trying to figure those things out. But as I sat at that kitchen table that morning, I remember very specifically, as I'm speaking to you today, the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit. Dwayne Philip Mills, put down your pencil. You will never be able to figure me out at the end of a pencil. It shook my world because I knew God was up to something. And so eventually we did. We went and interviewed with the church board. Most of them were family members, to be honest with you. But I remember telling them very specifically, I have no desire to be here. I'm trying to see what God is doing in my life. I thought maybe it was my Abraham and Isaac moment, and God would provide a ram in the thicket, and I wouldn't have to go. That he was just seeing if I'd be willing to go. And, of course, he was calling us to go. 
We finished out the academic year at Olivet, and in the summer of 2012, in June of 2012, we moved. In July of 2012, we had our first work and witness team. We became a work and witness site for the Church of the Nazarene there in Martin County, and I was pastoring full-time, and we would bring in about six to eight teams a year from all over the country. We'd turn away about 15 to 20 teams that wanted to come in and serve alongside of us. We'd go in the hills and hollers. We'd, we'd pull the kids out of the hollers. We'd have vacation Bible school for them. We would actually work on homes that needed to be worked on. We would go into the schools uh, and, and love on students and, and, and their parents and the teachers and the staff. We were doing that kind of work. Uh, we were... In it about two years, and I'll never forget the summer of 2014. As I was pastoring and we were bringing in these teams, uh, we, uh, I, I'm one that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So we would host some of these teams in our home. In the summer of 2014, we had College Church of the Nazarene from Bourbon, Illinois, come down with about 50 people. It's a large number. might not seem large to you, but for our little community that's large, especially our little church that runs about 100 or so, trying to find homes where we could host these teams. And I can remember we hosted 26 senior high girls in our little 2,000-square-foot parsonage for a week. 26? We have six. That's 32. Lord Jesus, help us. I can remember two days into it looking at my wife as we were in our bedroom and we had our children on air mattresses around our bed and some were sleeping in the bathroom tub maybe. I can't remember. Maybe not. We're not that bad. But I remember looking at her and saying, God's going to have to show up because this ain't working. And it wasn't long after that there was a couple that started coming to our church that we had met on the soccer field. Our oldest sons played soccer together and they were part of a ministry called Appalachia Reach Out a ministry that had been started in 1972 by the Reformed Church out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. In the late 60s, a lady, single lady, school teacher, one of those old-time school teachers that when you walked into the, the classroom, she demanded your respect. I don't know if you remember any of those teachers, but I had a few of them in my lifetime. Miss Joe Boomsma came in in the late 60s, and she would come in in the summers, and she'd bring in her four-by-four four Jeep, and she'd go up the hollers, and she would tutor these students that were so poor, didn't have anything. In 1972, she retired early, and she came, and she founded Appalachia Reach Out in 1972. Three or four years later, she started another ministry called Christian Appalachian Homes that worked with abused moms, wives, and their children. I remember Miss Joe as a little boy growing up when my dad pastored Turkey Creek. Uh, she would bring in those moms and their children on Sunday night to the church. And so I can remember Miss Joe. And so anyways, the, this couple came to, to our church from Appalachia Reach Out. They saw what we were doing. They said, you need to talk to our executive director. We have facilities that can host these teams. And so long story short, we started hosting teams on the campus of Appalachia Reach Out. At that time, it had been in ministry for about 45 years and Martin County in eastern Kentucky. Two years into that partnership, I get a call from the board of directors in Grand Rapids. Most of those board of directors were in their 70s and 80s, and I don't know about you, but I used to get called a lot of times to the principal's office. So when I got a call from the board of directors, hey, would you come meet us in Grand Rapids? I thought, what have I done wrong now? Because we started continuing to grow, bringing in teams because we had a facility to host them, continue to love on the poor and the broken of our county in Appalachia. And so as we uh, went to that meeting, I shared with them my vision and what we were doing. They asked me about it. They said, what would you do? Would you be open if we gifted you our campus, all of our buildings, all of our ministry, and the cash assets for ministry? Would you be open to that? That was in 2016. I told them we'd have to pray, and we prayed for two years. Because I knew if we said yes, this is probably where we'd spend the rest of our ministry. So for two years, we prayed, and in the fall of 2018... I met before our district advisory board on the East Kentucky District and told them about what God was doing and if they would be willing to recognize us as a compassionate ministry center. And they said, yes. And so we stepped out of the full-time pastorate in 2019 and stepped into the executive director role at Appalachia Reach Out a little bit over two years ago. God is at work in the mountains. Uh, there's a picture here of my granny. One of the great things about moving back in 2012 is I got to be my granny's pastor for 
nine months before she passed. My grandfather died of black lung and colon cancer in 1976, but she lived well, well beyond that. She never had a driver's license, eighth grade education, but a wonderful, godly lady. And so I got to be her pastor for nine months, and my dad was one of 11 children, the only one to go and get a, felt called into ministry and go and get a college degree. And so, rich heritage. If you'll remember, there was the picture of little Calvin Johnson propped up against the front porch post in 1964. 50 years to the date in April of 2014, myself, our district superintendent, the general superintendent, Jay Height, who's over Compassionate Ministries for the Church of the Nazarene, USA, Canada, a couple of our board members, we went back to that place, and you might not be able to see it in the picture, but there's an arm reached out with his hand on someone's shoulder. That's me. 50 years to the date, after we've thrown trillions of dollars at the issue of poverty, this is the same home that President Johnson stood on the front porch. You can tell in this picture there's no front porch any longer. There was no electricity, no running water, and that's Calvin 50 years later. Same place. But God called us to engage community. I want to ask Amplified Church this morning, if you cease to exist tomorrow, would you be missed in your community? If Amplify Church was no longer, would you be missed in your community? You see, what happened in 1964 is the church siloed itself within the walls of the church. And one thing the government cannot do is it cannot engage community like the church can. And so God has called us to engage community, and I'm not getting political on you, so don't get all worried here. But it's true. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and, and we can work together, and we are working together. There's a picture here that I want to show you. In 1960, 296 of the most impoverished counties on the left side of the screen, 50 years later in 2010, you see there's some significant difference. The only area that there's not much difference is in eastern Kentucky. There was a the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is a federal commission, just did a study last year. And of the top most 80 depressed counties in all of Appalachia, 39 of those top 80 counties are in eastern Kentucky. We believe God has strategically placed us to do his work, not just in eastern Kentucky, but also now West Virginia. So we said yes to ARO, and we began to focus on a few areas. By the way, this is just a screenshot of the campus that was gifted to us. You can't really see. There's bunkhouses and apartments and team centers, and we actually, like I said, we have an outpatient treatment facility with addiction recovery care on our campus. We have a thrift store that generates about 60% of our ministry revenue. We bring in everything from clothing to building supplies to used furniture to used appliances. You see, we don't even have a Walmart in our county, and a lot of our people can't even afford going to Walmart. And so we provide at a very minimal cost them, but it also... We believe God has called us to give dignity and value in the name of Jesus back to those people who have been so broken for multiple generations. And so that's what we do. So we focus in three areas. One is education. God has given us the opportunity to go into every school in Martin County. Open door, carte blanche. You go, you do it. And so it's nothing for me to go in. And, of course, in the South, they don't call you preacher or pastor. They call you preacher. And it's nothing for me to go in and pray over a teacher. Principals are open to that. There's a lot of things that I could tell you about education that God is opening doors. That's one area. The second area, as I've already mentioned a couple times, is addiction recovery care. And I've shared a little bit about that. The national average of someone staying clean and sober in the first and second phase of recovery is about 30%. Addiction recovery care now is showing an over an 80% success rate, taking people from crisis to career, the third and fourth phase of recovery, which is job skill training and job skill placement adding value and dignity back to people's lives. So we're passionate about that. I don't know of a family, including my own, my uncle and my first cousin died, both of them, of a drug overdose in Martin County that has not been impacted by the opioid crisis. So God has called us as the church to go back in and address that issue. We're getting ready to open up a 150-bed facility in our county in partnership with addiction recovery care. God is doing some amazing things the third area is where you're going to be involved, and that is work and witness. Uh, in 2019, we actually partnered with 21 work teams that came in 
to Martin County in eastern Kentucky. And we're very grateful for that. We do everything local. We buy local. We invest local. We give local. Everything back into the local economy. 19 teams or 21 teams, we invested $125,000 back in the local economy. That might not seem like much for you, but in our little community where the war on coal has devastated, we've lost 15,000 jobs in eastern Kentucky in the last decade, and every one coal job that was lost, it impacts six service jobs. So you do the math. It's devastating what's happened. And so we believe God has called us to, to serve the whole person. Last year, we were supposed to have over 25 teams and do about a quarter of a million dollars of investing back into our local economy. We weren't able to do that. But God opened the door for us to do some other things. This year, which we just opened our West Virginia site that your church will be a part of in January of 21 this year, between that site and our local site, we'll do over 40 teams and over a million dollars that we'll invest back into those local economies. God has called us to do that work. And so we want to do that and share the love and the hope of Christ. I want to share a story with you that I didn't have time to share with um, the first service, but you get to hear this story. Before I moved to Martin County, I was connected to a ministry called Marketplace Chaplains. It's the largest chaplaincy service outside of the armed services. And basically what happens is Christian business owners or those that have a bent toward the things of God will hire marketplace. Marketplace will go into communities. We're in multiple countries now. And they will find ministers or people who want to serve in the marketplace. They will train them and equip them, and then you can go in and love on these businesses. And so I partner with a business called Fast Change Lube and Oil. They have 20 stores in four states. I don't go into all of them, of course. But Inez, which is a little city in Martin County, Louisa, which is a little city in Lawrence County, and the corporate office I'm able to minister to. So when we moved in the summer of 2012, I started doing chaplaincy work. Only go in a couple times a month. It's an employee care program. And, and I got to go into Inez Fast Change Lube and Oil. And I met this little guy by the name of David Hill, a little bit older than me. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if you ever heard this growing up, but if you uh, handled not so great of talk. Did anybody ever have their mouth washed out with soap? Okay, a few of you did. Some of you were saying, what? Um, I did. Uh, Mom would say, you, you have a potty mouth, and then we'd get soap, and we'd have to. Well, Dave had kind of a potty mouth. And so I would go in, but there's still this reverence and respect. Of course, you probably experienced this in the South, where they have a lot of respect for a preacher. So I would get down in the pit where he was working up on these cars, and I would come in, and I started to build a relationship with Dave. You talk about how God works. Listen to this story. Uh, a couple, couple times after visiting, a couple months, I, I asked Dave a little bit about his story. How did you get to Martin County? He said, well, preacher, he said, when I was little, my mom was abused, and I was abused by my dad. And the only place that we had to come to live was a place called Christian Appalachian Homes. And so we came to Martin County in the late 70s and went to Miss Joe Boomsma's place. I said, I knew Miss Joe Boomsma. I said, did you ever go to the Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene on Sunday nights? He said, yeah, I've been there many times. I said, well, I'm sure our paths have crossed. So that connected us in. And Dave was not a Christian. Very rarely had he gone to church. Probably the most he ever gone to church when he was a little boy and would come to Turkey Creek Church of the Nazarene. Pretty soon, a few years into our relationship, he would tell me about his stepson, Kevin, who was a drug addict, many times on death's door. I can remember giving he and his wife, Joni, it was Joni's son, his wife's son, a little bit of extra money. So when they went to Pikeville Medical Center in Pikeville, Kentucky, they would have an opportunity to stay over in a hotel. I would give them a little bit of extra money to help with that stay. And, but I would just build this relationship with Dave. He didn't know Jesus, didn't attend a church, but I just kept loving him. Uh, January of last year, I, I knew that Dave was going in for some tests, so I'd been praying for him. Uh, pulled up on uh, Fast Change Lube and Oil there in Inez, and he had been to have his test that day, and he, Joni was driving their vehicle, and Dave was in the passenger seat, and as soon as I approached the vehicle when I drove up, he wasn't working that day, but I believe it was a divine appointment. I remember walking over to the passenger side where David was seated, and 
distress all over his face. Actually, there was tears in his eyes. I said, Dave, what's going on? He said, preacher, he said, I've got third stage lung cancer. I said, oh, Dave, I hate to hear that. I remember having the conversation, he and Joni, with tears in their eyes. He put his arm up on the, the door, and I grabbed his arm, and I said, Dave, you're not going to walk this journey alone. We're going to walk with you. And I prayed for him in that moment, got done, tears streaming down their face. And I looked at him, I said, Dave, you know that Jesus loves you, right? He said, yeah, preacher, I do. I didn't ask him where his heart was with Christ in that moment. Uh, that was January. He started treatment in February, and then everybody knows what happened in March, the worldwide pandemic. It was uh, March the 23rd, a Monday evening. I was on a Zoom call with district pastors. I get this call from David Hill. I see it come up on my cell phone. I couldn't answer in that moment, but as soon as that Zoom call was over, I picked up my phone and I called. I'll never forget it was 6.53 on that Monday evening. Dave was on the other end. He said, preacher. I said, yes. He said, I want to be baptized. I said, Dave, there's something you got to do before you get baptized. He said, he's so naive. He said, really? I said, yes. He said, what's that? I said, you need to give Jesus your heart. He said, well, let's do it. I said, okay, let's do it. He said, hang on, let me pull over to the side of the road. I'm driving back from treatment. I said, well, pull over to the side of the road, David. I want you to wreck. So he pulled over to the side of the road, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. He said, preacher, hang on. He said, Joni's over here in the passenger seat, blubbering like a baby. She wants to ask Jesus into her heart, too. I said, Dave, hand her the phone. And he handed Joni the phone, and I prayed the sinner's prayer with Joni. And I said, Joni, does that thing have speaker on it? She said, yes. I said, turn it on. She turned it on. I said, Dave and Joni, you, my, you are my brother and sister in Christ. Welcome to the family of God. They said, preacher, when are we going to get baptized? I said, it's COVID. I said, I don't know, but we will. I said, the most important thing has taken place. You've asked Jesus into your heart. Dave continued treatment, and I would touch base with him every week. At the, I'll never forget, I was at the courthouse in Martin County at the end of April, and I get this call from Dave, and the week before, he sounded really weak in his voice, and the next week when he called me, he sounded stronger. And I said, Dave, what's going on? You sound better. Where are you at? He said, he said, Preacher, I'm actually at Pikeville Medical Center in the hospital. He said, they say I have bronchitis. I said, oh, Dave, I hate to hear that. And we talked for a little bit. I said, I said, what do you want? What do you need? How can I help you? He said, Preacher, I'm just calling to let you know that I love you. I said, Dave, I love you too. It was a few days after that I get a call from Joni. She said, preacher, I've made provisions. You need to come quick. I said, Dave's had a major stroke. He's in ICU, and they won't let anyone go in, but they said they'll let you go. I said, I'm on my way, Joni. I made my way to Pikeville, Kentucky, which is about an hour away, and went into that hospital, and Dave probably had no idea I was there. I remember that same arm that I had put my hand on to say, Dave, you're not going to walk this journey alone, was the same arm that I grabbed, and I prayed over him. And I asked for God if he could touch him to touch him. It didn't look good. A few days later, I get a call from Joni, and she said, Preacher, he's gone. I said, Joni, I know your heart's breaking, but I want to tell you something. Dave's no longer suffering, and I know he's dancing with Jesus right now. She said, would you be willing to do the funeral? I said, I'd be honored to do the funeral. I said, but it's not a funeral. It's a life celebration service. So in May, we had a life celebration service for Dave. And after that funeral service, Joni asked me, she said, preacher, would you be willing, would it be okay that when, we, when I do get baptized, because we hadn't baptized him yet, that if I get a picture, Dave's picture on my T-shirt, that when I'm baptized, he gets baptized as well. I said, absolutely, Joni. It wasn't until the end of July that at our church we got this cattle trough. Trust me, it was clean. Don't worry. We were outside, and I'll never forget that night because our youngest daughter, Emily, got baptized that night as well. Two weeks before that baptismal service, I get a call from Joni. You see, Dave and Joni were raising two of their grandkids because they were both ad born addicted to drugs. Little Maddie, that's my daughter's age, she has webbed hands and feet, and as she grows, she has to go to the Shriners Hospital at the University of Kentucky, in Lexington, around, at the University of Kentucky. 
and they have to cut her hands and feet as she grows so that she can have mobility with her hands and her feet. You see, we'd started Celebrate Recovery a couple years before, and I'd spoken at Celebrate Recovery, and Maddie was there with a neighborhood friend. She heard about this message of Jesus, and so Joni called me and said, Maddie wants to get baptized too, but I think she's too young. I said, Joni, hang on. I'll be there. I went to this double-wide trailer that was cigarette smoke-infested, pretty rough shape. I remember walking into that kitchen area, and we pulled up a chair around the table. I started talking to Maddie, and I looked at her grandma, Joni, and I said, Joni, she, know, she, she, she knows who Jesus is. We bowed our heads, and in my years of ministry, I've never prayed with someone that was so emphatic and determined to ask Jesus into their heart as a little Maddie was that evening. There's a picture up here, or it was up there. This was a picture of us the night that Joni and Maddie got baptized. Kevin, who we'd been praying for, remember? He was there that night. He observed what had happened. Kevin was going to our outpatient treatment facility. There's a guy on the right side of this picture where he's getting baptized whose name is John Waller, who was 40 years in addiction. His dad was a free will Baptist preacher. We started praying in 2013 that God would obliterate the drug culture in Martin County. John was the first person we started praying for. A few months after that, John gave his life to the Lord, went to a residential treatment facility, and now is a chaplain and a peer support specialist at our outpatient treatment facility and led Kevin to the Lord. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a plan to take the broken and put them back together again. To take what our world would say is useless and to use them for his glory. See, it was two weeks after that baptismal service that I get a call from Joni. She said, preacher, can you come quick? I said, Kevin just gave his heart to the Lord. John led him to the Lord. They're going to baptize him in the creek. And so that's across from our street, Appalachia Reach Out, and we got to celebrate together. I'd love to say everything's been perfect. This month is a year that Dave passed away. My wife and I, my wife is a psychologist and works at a maximum security federal prison, and we've been working with Joni. We've had to get her mental treatment. Have to, had to have had to help her with her readjusting her medication and different things because, you see, Dave was a patriarch of that family. Joni's doing better, but I want you to pray. If you remember anything else, pray for the Hill family. I just talked to Joni about a week and a half ago. She sounds stronger. She sounds better. But her world has been turned upside down. I want to leave you with a passage of Scripture this morning. This passage of Scripture, and I'm going to fly through these pictures. If Another prayer request. Pray for our staff. This is our family in the bottom. Ethan is a junior at Olivet. Evan is a freshman at Martin County High School. Eli is a seventh grader at, well, well, I guess Evan will be a sophomore, and Eli will be an eighth grader, and then little Emily will be a fourth grader. The Zydemas, who have been on our staff at ARO for 10 years, they have three children. God is using them in a wonderful way. And then we just added two more staff people on, a step of faith. We've stepped out on faith because we believe God has called us to it. Uh, we've hired full-time on the bottom picture is Dave Crumb. He was a 16-year minor, an electrician, worked at a prep plant. He was my NYI president, my youth president at the church. He's serving alongside of us. And then Vic now is serving in West Virginia that your church will be working with. Pray for us as we continue to do God's work. But I want to leave you with a passage of Scripture this morning and then pray a prayer over you. And for some reason, that's not turning there. There we go. A passage that one of our greatest supporters in southern Illinois sent me a few months ago that it helped me. Those of you who have lost loved ones who you've been praying for, know that God has not forgotten you, them, and your prayer. He is aware. A couple of months ago, as I was going through a very difficult time, I, this lady that was in a church of ours in southern Indiana years ago sent me this passage. I want to give it to you today. It's Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Here's one thing I know. My grandfather has been gone since 1976 here on this earth. My granny has been gone since 2013. I'm blessed to have my mom and dad still living and doing well. 
But my grandparents and the many people that were heroes of faith to me when I was a little boy growing up in Turkey Creek, when I moved back, I've had to do a lot of their funerals. Their prayers are still being answered today. Think about the people who prayed for you. Their prayers are still being answered today. Because someone passes from this earth does not mean that God still doesn't hear those prayers. So if you came into this place this morning discouraged, I want you to know with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I believe that promise. We just sang the song and there's words in it. I don't know if you take heart to what the songs are saying when you come to sing them. But his promises are yes and amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and bow your heads. What we learned when we moved to eastern Kentucky was this. Trust always precedes obedience. If I don't trust him fully, there's no way I can obey him with my entire life. That's one thing that God gave me. If someone were to say, What's, what encapsulates your move nine years ago, next month, to eastern Kentucky? I would say trust always precedes obedience. So my question today is, do you trust him fully with your life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer over you, a prayer that I've been praying for a number of years now, and I pray this for the Amplified Church. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us in this place to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to set God-sized goals, to pursue God-ordained passions, to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Lord, may all of us keep asking questions, and in the process of trusting you, there's going to be times where we make mistakes, and you're aware of those. Our mistakes are not bigger than who you are. Lord, I pray that you would keep, we would keep seeking you with all of our heart, with all of our heart, Lord, may we stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. May we stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Lord, help us to stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Lord, expand our horizons. Help us to accumulate experiences, to enjoy the journey, to find every excuse that we can to celebrate everything that we can. And Lord, beginning today, may we live like today is the first day and the last day of our life. And don't let what's wrong with me Keep me from worshiping what's right with you. Lord, if needed in our lives, I pray that you would burn sinful bridges, that you would blaze new trails. Lord, don't let fear dictate our decisions. I pray right now in this very moment, on the 23rd day of May, 2021, that Amplified Church of the Nazarene would take a flying leap of faith. They already are in some places, and we thank you for that. May they quit holding back in any area that maybe they are. This prayer is not just for the church today, Lord, but it's also for us individually. May we push all of our chips to the middle of the table. Lord, it's time for us to ante up all of our faith. It's time to go all in. It's time to go all out. Lord, it's time for us to go. Amen. Can you give Dwayne a hand? Thank you so much joining us. We're really thankful. So I'm going to say a prayer for us in just a minute. Let me tell you this. So a couple years ago, we had a youth pastor, and he was um, from West Virginia, and he always said, you wouldn't believe how poor that area is. You wouldn't believe how much need there is. You wouldn't believe how close it is to us. And yeah, yeah, okay. And then as, as COVID hit and overseas uh, missions and work shut down, we were, we, were, um, we were partnering with Belize, and we were looking to partner with the Philippines, some connections we have there. We said, hey, where can we meet and go to locally? And that our, our thoughts kept coming up about, yeah, but there's so many people that need help in Appalachia. So 
Let's do that. Well, then we got connected, and so we started saying, God, what are you going to do? And so we want to start sending teams that do two things, that work and witness. Because sometimes you need to see somebody work before you listen to them. Or maybe we go ahead of churches, and we do the work, and then they come in and do the witness right? So we're looking for people that over the next, not just this next trip coming up, but as we continue to partner with our organization, being the work and witness side, where we go into places and just do simple tasks, or we go in and just do work and then open up for the Holy Spirit to literally minister to people who need to hear the gospel and see the work of the church. So Crystal and I are foster parents, and we tell you that often, and if you're new here, my wife and I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and one of, the, one of the traps you can get into is thinking that you're coming in to, to save or help or fix. That's a huge mistake, because what you realize, your one or two mistakes or, um, or situations outside of your control, you're one or two situations away from being exactly where the people you're trying to help are. And you realize very quickly, the only thing you can actually do is serve. And then you let, you let God fix, and you let God save, and you let God deal with the, the rest. But you can serve, and that's all you can do. And so that's our heart. God, use us in any way you can. That's our church's cry. And so if we're going to amplify the beauty of Jesus into what is clearly a broken world, we're going to have to be able to answer the question, if we were pulled out of here, would anybody miss us? Thank you for the message today. Thank you for the leadership of your organization. And thank you for letting us to partner, uh, come along and partner with you. Lord, today I pray for these people. I thank you, Lord, for their heart. I thank you for their, um, their passion to serve you, Lord. I thank you for this church that has kind of bet the farm. And so, God, we aren't going to just rest on that. We're going to reach as many people as possible for the kingdom. I pray for uh, Dwayne and just I pray protection over his family and all the things. I'm sure the enemy would love to descend on him and take um, shots. But, Lord, we pray for protection for them, God. And, and Lord, we pray that as we go to work and school and uh, as we're in our homes, God, may you use us to reach people for your kingdom, God. So we go with a passion and we go with a purpose and we pray, God, use us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen. We love you. Be blessed as you go today.